You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on? Welcome to Talking Football with Ray. And believe it or not, my name is Ray. And I'm going to be the one talking football with you. Before we got to the show, you need to remember that we are talking about a kid's game that's played by grown men. So sit back, relax, don't take yourself too serious, and let's have a little bit of fun in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Zero! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Talking Football with Ray. My name is Ray, and that means I'm going to be the one talking football with you. If you are a New England Patriots fan like me, today is Victory Tuesday. If you're a Buffalo Bills fan, well, you've got a lot of questions you need answers to. And if you're neither, you probably don't care. It's just Tuesday for you. I'm being joined by Lawrence Owen, the host of the Believe in Colts podcast and the Colts Law YouTube channel. On this Tuesday, December the 7th, 2021, tonight, we're going to be chopping it up about a lot of different things. Lawrence is going to weigh in on Belichick's game plan against the Bills was so predictable. It became unpredictable. Is Carson Wentz worth the Colts first round pick? Are the Steelers getting their physicality back? Do you cheer for opposing players to get hurt? What chance do the Colts have to run the table? And does Jonathan Taylor have a legitimate chance to win MVP? Not in purposely pick three Colts topics, but Lawrence is here, so it's all working out. We're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear from my sponsors over at Newsbreak, and when things turn over, I'll be joined by my boy, Lawrence. Over 1 billion users have downloaded the free Newsbreak app, getting access to all of their local news and content provided by Newsbreak. However, not only is Newsbreak a sponsor of my channel, they're also my bosses. I have been marked as a top contributor for Newsbreak covering the entire NFL. So what are you waiting for? Download the Newsbreak app from the link that I've left in the description, and it directly supports my channel. If you want transparency, I'll give you transparency. Every time somebody downloads the Newsbreak app from the link, it directly puts money in my pocket. So download the app, get unlimited free access to all of your local news and all of my NFL content for free while also supporting the channel. It's a win-win for everybody. So please take 30 seconds and download the Newsbreak app from the link that I've left in the description. And we're back live here on Talking Football with Ray. We're live on Twitter. We're live on YouTube. Of course, you can find my content all over the internet. Find me on YouTube, Twitter, Newsbreak, Patreon, and all of the podcast networks. That's Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And of course, you can find my podcast and my blogs over at DeanBlundell.com. Make sure you go check out both my YouTube channels, Talking Football with Ray and NFL News with Ray. 
make sure that you come check out my exclusive content on the Ray Route Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash DPN Sports. Links are in the threads and description. No matter how you're watching or listening to the show, make sure you hit that like button. And if you haven't done it already, follow me on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on the podcast. And make sure you go down into the description. Click on that link that's going to bring you over to Lawrence Owens' YouTube channel and go subscribe to him as well. Lawrence, how you doing, buddy? Oh, dude, I'm, I'm doing great. I had a fun night last night sitting back watching the game with a bunch of guys, you know, in my Discord channel and ha- had an absolute blast watching that game. It, it got so predictable. As you said, it became unpredictable. Like, it was just that ridiculous. So I was actually <laughs> a guest on the Dean Blundell show today, and I was on there for about half an hour chopping it up about that game. And that's what I kept saying. I said, like, okay, so the first quarter went by. Mac Jones says that one crazy throw. I'm like, okay, they're not going to throw into the wind anymore. And then he doesn't throw in the second quarter. And then the, because the Bills had deferred, which I actually think was a mistake by the Bills, they should have let the, they should have given the Patriots a choice off the hop and then, then be able to choose the side so they could have the, the win to their back to finish the game. So I'm like, okay, they deferred. Belichick's going to take the win, you know, go against the win the first quarter. And then, you know, fourth quarter, he's going to come out throwing the football. And that, that was like, like it's got to be at some point. And then they just, they kept running the football. And it wasn't until the Patriots, like, final possession that finally the Buffalo Bills figured it out. And there was that three and out with six minutes left. And then, I mean, the other thing that kind of surprised me about that game, too, was just, and we're going to get deeper into this. I don't want to talk too much about it because um, it is one of our topics for tonight. But like, then, like, they call an all-out blitz on the last Buffalo's last offensive play of the game. They hadn't called the blitz the entire game, and that's the time. And it's just Bill Belichick, the genius. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, just want everybody to know, bear with me. I am dealing with a um, a virus of some sort right now. Uh, I have been tested. I have been negative. So I'm hoping it's just a cold. But a part of me wants to go get another test and just make sure because this is it's it's – I feel Conven- for you, dude. Conveniently <laughs> getting worse and worse and worse as every day goes by. Um, this is my second live today. I did two last night. I was up till one in the morning doing a post game with hashtag, and it's like I'm feeling now. I just want to crawl into my bed. Guys, trust me. As soon as the show's done, there's not going to be a an after show conversation with Lawrence. It's going to be thanks, bud. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go get some sleep. But um, Lawrence, let me let me get into this right now, okay? So. I'm going to start with, I believe, the payoff for this game, because for Patriot fans and Bills fans, you could just see it by the conversations that were happening all week, the hype, and as a Patriot fan, I can feel it. There, This felt like we were going into a playoff atmosphere. It felt like this payoff game, and then it was kind of ruined by this weird win, because this is a game that you expect to see both teams at their best, and it just it turned into a little bit of a coaching matchup, which I think was one-sided. As we've sort of touched upon, but we're going to get into bigger detail, Bill Belichick's game plan was so predictable that it became unpredictable for the Bills, and I'm going to say that the Bills couldn't make the adjustments that were necessary. They kind of just kept doing the same thing over and over and hoping it would work, and they had a little bit of success, but of course, you know, failed drives in the red zones. And Sean McDermott comes out after and he blames his players, he belittles Belichick, he blames the rain, everything but himself, as the rest of the NFL media is running around and saying that Belichick is now coach of the year. It was decided on that game last night. Uh, The Patriots are first in the AFC now. After starting one and three, the difference between a win and loss for the Patriots would have been first seed or fifth seed. So that was obviously a big game. Uh, I just saw this today. The Patriots now, for Patriots fans out there, have a 99% chance of making the playoffs with their current nine and four record. So if they blow this, they blew it bad. Um, and the Patriots have the actually the fourth best record in the entire NFL. Uh, the only other coach that I thought could maybe come in and pull off this ridiculous play calling 
would possibly be the Steelers' Mike Tomlin. I thought that'd be the only guy with the cojones maybe big enough to do this. But let, let me ask you about this game. What did you think about both approaches by Buffalo and New England where you could tell New England showed up and just threw their game plan out and said, okay, we're just, you know, we're going to run the football. Mac Jones, three passes, and, you know, we're going to live or die by this. And and Buffalo never put them in a position that they never put them in a position that the Patriots had to stop running the football. And on the other side, Buffalo didn't really even try. They kind of scatterly tried to get their run game going. They had that off handoff with Brita and Allen, and suddenly they're like, okay, you know what, Josh, you're going to throw it 30 times. Look at what Bill Belichick did compared to Sean McDermott, and tell me what you thought of the, the, the coaching last night by both both teams. Bill Belichick had the right idea. I think he should have threw a few more passes in there. I, I, I do believe that the Patriots – would have had a better shot. I mean, they did only score 14 points this game. I feel like there was points to be had that was left out there because he was that predictable in his in his play calling. Um, and then, of course, you know, that 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 first half fumble as well, uh, which allowed Buffalo to get those early points. But at the same time, absolutely. I mean, his game plan, run the ball in this stupid weather, you know, and this this wind is ridiculous. And he did it. It was right. He, it was the right call. Uh, and, and Buffalo gave up. Sean McDermott gave up, basically, on his most explosive player out of the backfield, which is Matt Breida, because of the stupid handoff, you know, that, that fumble on the handoff. And then you never saw Breida again the rest of the game. You know, you were seeing Moss and Singletary and, and, and Allen back there trying to throw the football in 60-mile-an-hour gusty winds. I mean, come on. You can't do that. I mean, especially against maybe the best pass defense in the NFL. You just can't do that with the wins and that pass defense. You've got to find a way to do something on the ground. They had a shot twice in the fourth quarter inside the red zone, came up with no points. I mean, I I'm not. Yeah, this was this was McDermott's failure big time, in my opinion. Would you also call it Bill Belichick's success, or would you call it oh, yeah. failure? Yeah. I mean, had McDermott actually was different in his play calling, Bill Belichick would have adjusted the runs, I believe. You know, it, 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 this difference. Bill Belichick is good at reacting how how the other coach is playing and and make fly adjustments during the game. So yeah. He did what he needed to do to secure a victory in this game. So the general consensus that's been going on around a lot of the sports media today, a lot of people on Twitter, even outside of the Patriots fan base, is, okay, that solidifies it. Bill Belichick, coach of the year, blah, 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 blah. But where I'm, where I'm going with, with this question line of question is not like, is he going to, you know, should he be coach of the year? Should he not be coach of the year? Whatever. But is there any other coach right now in the National Football League, that even after a win could get away with throwing three passes and be deemed a genius and coach of the year after the game. Because I feel like if Frank Reich would do that, people would be like, all right, I know Jonathan Taylor's good, but he threw three passes. Like people, I feel like Belichick's just been around for so long that people just take these oddities as like, well, it's just Belichick being Belichick. Like, is there any other coach maybe outside of, like the big four that are left, you know, the Andy Reid, Sean Payton's, Mike Tomlin's, like the real established guys. Like, could any other coach pull this off right now and, and, and get away without being toasted about it? Uh, by fans, 
I think Frank Reich, if he ran the ball all but three times, he would be like put on a pedestal by Colts fans. By Colts, I'm talking in yeah, but in general media, media, general media, that would bring up. Well, the coach obviously has no faith in the quarterback. You know, that's what that would bring up. Except in this case, he obviously has some faith in in uh, Mac Jones because Mac Jones has went out there and he's thrown balls. He's 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 probably he's the best rookie quarterback this year by far in my opinion so i mean yeah that in in this situation and and also i mean this was a game that was built for belichick to really solidify that run game and 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 and, and lean on a strength of his offense even if he did lean on it really 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 hard <laughs> Well, and I did see a quote today from Belichick that they were like, you know, can you take anything from this game plan? Like, you know, or is this just get thrown? Like, I mean, the Indianapolis Colts are not going to look at this film. They're just going to throw it out the window. There's nothing to learn here. But Bel- what, what Belichick said was, is we talked about it. Um, they're like, they don't know. We could, we have our whole passing book open to us when we play the Bills the next time because they saw nothing today. <laughs> right. But I, I do want to move on a little bit here and, and talk about something near and dear to your heart, and that's Carson Wentz. So, I'm not sure if they're there yet, but they're probably pretty close. And I'll let Lawrence answer this in a minute. But let's just say the the Indianapolis Colts are going to be giving up a first-round draft pick for Carson Wentz. He's going to play the 75% of snaps that uh, turns that conditional second-rounder into a first-round pick. And that's going to obviously bring up the questions, is Carson Wentz worth the Colts' first-round pick? And I I got a couple things here I want to go through, and then I'm going to let Lawrence give his opinion. Obviously, being a Colts fan, too, it'll be a unique opinion coming from someone from the Colts fan base. Wentz is 28 years old. He's under contract till 2024. So this wasn't like a one or two year rental. This is a four year sort of long-term solution for the Colts. And they still have an opportunity at that 2024 year to work another deer and extend him even longer. Stats this season is 266 for 420, 2,948 yards, 22 touchdowns, five interceptions. That's a great touchdown interception ratio. He's got a rating of 90.3. PFF's not bad. He's rated 23rd overall. He's got a 70, but he's got a 73 grade. So that's not a bad grade at, you know, even being at 23, 71.7 in the passing and 64.3 in the run in his run game. He's not, he's not known as, a, um, he's not running it like he used to back when he was in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that Wentz is a little bit protected by Jonathan Taylor. I think when you have a guy like Jonathan Taylor, um, that helps you open up your passing game a little bit more because of the danger of him. The same way Mac Jones is protected by the Patriots run game. And I think anybody with a strong run game. And I'm going to say the same way even Tom Brady's protected a little bit with Leonard Fournette and the way Leonard Fournette is running the football this year. Um, where things go a little skew for Carson Wentz is when we get to the player profiler uh, analytics, which it, weren't really matching up with the general stats in the PFF stats. So um, I'm you're smiling. So I'm sure you already probably read this, but I'm just, I'm doing this just to lay it out for everybody. And then I'm going to let you give your answer. Um, this is actually in favor of Carson Wentz. He's got a supporting cast that's rated ranked 23rd, which means he's not thrown to a top 20 supporting cast, which will bring other numbers down his protection rating. And I think a lot of this came from the beginning of the year, but overall for the year is ranked 36 in the NFL. That means 35 other quarterbacks who have played this season have better protection than Carson Wentz. That's going to affect numbers. And mm-hmm. considering that he's at a 22 and five ratio, that's actually pretty good. Uh, 
here's where I, I don't like it. For danger plays, he's ranked 12th, and these are the ones you want to be lower. You don't want to be a top 15. He's thrown 26 danger plays this year, and he's ninth in interceptable passes, 24 in total, 26 danger plays he's thrown. His true percentage completion has him rated at 29 at 68.6. His true passer rating of 84. However, the Indianapolis Colts have 22 drops this season, so there's a lot of drops coming on Carson Wentz. The The, the Colts are currently 7-6. and six. They're half a game out of a playoff spot. So I'm going to turn to you because it's your team. It's the team you follow, you cover, and you cheer for. Is that first-round draft pick worth it for the Indianapolis Colts? Has Carson Wentz delivered on what you wanted this season, and do you trust him moving forward the next three seasons? All right, so uh, I am going to defend a little bit on the danger passes slash interceptable passes. A lot of those are him throwing 50-50 balls to specific players that he has a lot of faith in, like Michael Pittman Jr., you know. And, you know, when you have a guy like Michael Pittman Jr., you're going to do those. You're going to throw those kind of passes. And no matter who comes down with it, it's going to come up as a danger pass. It's going to come up as an interceptable pass, you know. And he's had two of those this year get picked off, but a lot more was caught by Michael Pittman Jr., um, I think on overall, I think this is by far was, is worth a first round pick considering Philadelphia is eating a lot of that contract because of bonuses. Uh, so they're, they're averaging anywhere between 20 and 28 million a year, you know, as the years go through the next four years. And also he's in the right fit for him. You know what I mean? We talk about, well, he's got Jonathan Taylor and he's got, you know, this this offensive line. And, and, and that's what Carson Wentz needs to succeed. That doesn't mean that every quarterback is going to succeed with that specific setup. Um, in, in Philadelphia back, you know, when he had his MVP season, guess what? He had a good run game there. He had uh, targets and he had a good offensive line. It was there to help him succeed. Um, I, I think. Carson also, it's that matchup with the coach and his skill sets and what the coach wants to use those skill sets for his play calling. And those work out very, very well as well. This is why it's just a really good fit. And I think it fits the Indianapolis Colts. It's, it's definitely, in my opinion, worth that first round pick. And yeah, percentage wise, um, it is possible, depending upon how many snaps is left in the last four games of the season, that he, you know, it's already too late. We've already given it up, you know? Uh, so it will be a first round pick without any question. Okay. I want to move on now to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of had a bounce back game against the Ravens. They won the game, but I think more importantly, they kind of got their identity back and they got a little bit more physical. And it was something that I had been talking a lot about with the Steelers, but how they lost their physicality. Uh, and I have some stats here, and I tweeted these out today. They gave up 172 rushing yards against the Bengals, 159 to the Chargers, 229 to the frick Lions. And then they were able to hold Baltimore, who Lamar Jackson on his own can get 200 rushing yards. And they hold them to 107. And this all came up because Cam Hayward was talking about TJ Watt playing angry and, and that kind of thing. And TJ Watt is one of those guys, like, if you're going to be successful, you need TJ Watt to be success. You need TJ Watt to, to be in the game. And um gary deluke put this out today and it's pretty he said tj watt is averaging 1.6 sacks per game which means he would get eight more over the final five games if he continues that pace and stays healthy 
That would give him 24 sacks, eclipsing the record of 22 and a half set by New York Giants defensive end Michael Strahan in 2001. So obviously he's going to be an important piece of that team. Steelers are a long shot to make the playoffs, but they're still in that conversation. Winning that game against the Ravens kept them in the conversation. And I think for them to be successful, they have to keep winning in the trenches, right? They have to be able to neutralize other teams' run games because the book's kind of out, just run the football on them. But they also need to be able to to pound the rock themselves and move that football, and that's something they have struggled with from time to time this year. And they need to play physical Steelers football. I need to ask you, when it comes to playing physical – and and the Patriots are a team that plays physical. The 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 Colts are, are a team that play physical. You can't have a, a good run game without playing physical. Why does a team like Pittsburgh just seem to go on and off when it comes to physicality, both offensively and defensively? Like it just comes and goes throughout the season. And how can a team consistently play that bruising, bashing, and and win in the trenches on a consistent basis? Well, defensively for Pittsburgh, TJ Watt and to it are huge motivators, not just for being on the field, but what they do for the rest of the team when they are on the field. They themselves may not be ha- they themselves may not even have a great game, but because they are on the field and the physicality and the energy that they bring on the game like brings everybody else on that defense around them up and, and increases their play as well and makes them try harder and bring that extra physicality. So in my opinion, those two specific players, even even Hayward, you know, uh, Hayward, it and Watt, when all three of those guys are on the field, this is a scary defense. I mean, I, I, I love what Fitzpatrick brings back in the secondary but those three guys up in the front seven bring bring it when they're there and they and they and they lift the rest of the team on offense man it it the it's the offensive line right it is that offensive line they have to find a way of of setting their tone no matter how many times you feed the ball to Najee Harris if that offensive line is not pushing and opening holes for him then you're going to seem soft you know, no matter how hard Najee Harris is running the football, no matter how many times Ben Roethlisberger gets hit in the backfield and shakes somebody off to throw the football, if that offensive line isn't out there pushing people, they're going to be deemed soft. And they just haven't been doing that this year offensively. Okay, so I threw a poll out today and I asked, do you cheer when opposing teams get or opposing players get hurt? And uh, 109 people have responded. 92.7 said no. 7.3% said yes. I believe that that yes is a little bit higher and people are just trying to be show their humanity um, as they're talking about this. So I'm going to give, this isn't really like a, a big long thing. I'm going to, I'm going to sneeze. So I'm going to turn it to you for a second. Do you cheer for opposing teams when they get when when players get or do you cheer when opposing players get hurt or are you secretly celebrating when opposing players get hurt or are you really one of those people that are like this sucks I want the best on the field? All right. So first off, I don't ever cheer. You know, uh, you watch my live streams. I never ever cheer when someone I'm like, oh no, I hope he's okay. You know, um, he this is a human being on the field and it could quite possibly have something that. Uh, you know, is is not just, you know, uh, could hurt him in his pocket, hurt him on the game, but be, you know, physically life-altering injury. And I would never, ever, ever, ever cheer for an injury. Uh, if a guy gets the wind knocked out of him, he has to sit off to the sideline for a few times. I'm like, 
well, okay, that we better take advantage of this. You know, obviously I'm not going to sit here and go, you know, uh, well, there's an injury on the field. That really sucks. We better play softer, you know, to make up for the fact that they're not, they don't have all their guys. No, take advantage of it. If, if, if the injury happens because it happens to every team, you know, every time a player steps on the field, they take that chance. I don't think any player in the NFL has played a 10 year career and not been hurt in some way, shape or fashion. Right. And it sucks. It does suck. It sucks when you see your guy hurt on the field. And how many times have you watched a game? Like for instance, uh, when Smith got his leg broke, remember, I mean, a lot of you, I'm sure a lot of you watched that and seen that happen live. And I, I bet you not, not 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 a single person, even the people that were, uh, you know, rooting against him, against the Washington, or against Washington, they weren't like, oh yay, Smith got his leg broke though. Alex Smith, he's talking about for yeah. who's not sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's it's not something that 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 you know a person with a heart or have or have played football and seen that. So I think that might have a little bit of effect. Also, I've played football, I've been hurt myself, so I have this yeah. kind of you know, connection with these guys on the field of going, oh man, I know what this is like. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie here and pretend that I'm this, this virtue of a person. I don't (laughs) cheer for an injury. I don't hope for an injury. However, and I'm, I'm saying this in jest, I'm not saying this and and I hope this happens, but if I'm cruising Twitter next week and I see Jonathan Taylor tweaks ankle out for Patriots game, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not sobbing at home. You know what I mean? I'm probably going big. You know, and there's probably a little part of me that's going, you know, we don't got to, we don't have to face Jonathan Taylor. Uh, we're fighting for the number one seed right now when you don't got to play the possible MVP. That's <laughs> a big play. Um, I remember back when the, the Toronto Raptors were in the championship and obviously I'm from Toronto. So I was watching those and Kevin Durant came back from injury for Golden State and played one quarter and he was just tearing up the Raptors. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, the, the Raptors are going to blow the series now. And then his Achilles exploded on the field and he had to leave and Toronto fans who were in the stadium and it was embarrassing to the city. They cheered and they just got ripped on social media. And I was somebody that was like, that's disgusting. That's this, that's that, blah, blah, blah. I'm not gonna lie though, that I when it first originally happened, that my first reaction was he's hurt. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's I think it's a natural reaction for people, and I think people will deny it, but I think it is a natural reaction. I don't want to, you know. Yes, I like the best on best. I like the best on best when my team's not playing. I want to see Jonathan Taylor go up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't want to see Jonathan Taylor go up against the New England Patriots. Right? It's just mm-hmm. it. It's not. I'm not a casual observer in that game. I have a. I have a piece. I'll never cheer for an injury, but I've never ever once been disappointed when. And and being a Patriots fan, it's happened a few times this year. I've never been disappointed when a guy's going to miss a game because of injury or a COVID list or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? And well, it's like earlier this year um, when Derrick Henry hurt his foot right against the Colts, and he still played that game out, but we knew he was hurt after in the second quarter. And I was looking at it and I was going, man, that sucks, you know, but it didn't look serious, you know? Yeah. And so I get where you're saying, you're like, well, it's just another one of those injuries. I'm okay with going, okay, he's got one of those, you know, little Nick injuries, you know, a little Nick bruise type thing that's going to affect him a little bit, but it's not something that's going to be severe enough to affect him long-term. I get that. 
but no way would I ever, I would feel awful if I cheered for someone who went down on the field and then find out, you know, he's being carted off and sent to the hospital right now. You know, that would, that would make me feel awful at that point, you know, cause I cheered. So I, I have learned to rein my, you know, Oh good. We, we gives us a better chance to win this game. Like a lot of fans are. I, I've learned to rein that in because there's been a many a games I've watched live and, and, and something like that has happened. And then I felt bad afterwards. You know what I mean? Like, like the whole Achilles thing that you were talking about with the Toronto. <laughs> uh, I think you're muted. I still don't hear nothing. There we go. There I are. Um, I got to cue something up for this next one here. Cool. And uh, just give me one second. But I, I want to share this with the audience first before we start having another discussion about it. But my man over here, and I'll blow this up here in a second, said that I think the Colts will go five and five, five and zero. Oh, I mean, run to finish the twenty twenty one season, and I believe Indy matches up well with the five teams. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play it for everybody so that they can hear it, and then I want to go into a further discussion if we can. Does that work for you? Yeah, that's cool. So this is Lawrence Owen talking about uh, how the the Colts are gonna go on a five and zero rush. If you can't hear it, Lawrence, let me know. What's going on? I just want to put the NFL on notice. I don't see the next five games, the last five games of the season the Indianapolis Colts have as being anything, anything of a problem for the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, I, I think the toughest game will probably be the Patriots. I think the Colts don't match up very, very well against all of them. I don't, I don't see a game where in, in the next five, we're looking at Houston and New England and Jacksonville and the Raiders and and even the Cardinals. I don't see any of them having a defense that's going to prevent Jonathan Taylor from having at least 20 carries. At least. And our defense is built for speed. Now, the Patriots, they have a very physical, demanding run game, which, in my opinion, will put the Colts, in, um, you know, kind of, that's why it's going to be their toughest game. But in all honesty, I think the Colts can win that. I think there's a shot that the Indianapolis Colts can go can close out the season five and zero and finish off eleven and six. I know, I know. A lot of you were like, "How could you even say that?" You know, blah blah blah. But I've watched games. I've watched the games. I kind of get a little idea of what Frank Reich likes to do too. And none of these teams can stop the run. Not like some of the other teams that we've played. And he's going to smoke somebody. And it's going to start in our NRG stadium against the Houston Texans. Watch out. So clearly you beat the Texans. And let's, let's you know, be be real with that that's nothing to brag about um however still, though, it was still a 31 nothing game though so that is something it to was. brag about when well, you goose egg any any team in the nfl it was something but, to brag about when the patriots i think the patriots goose egg the jets or the goose egg mm -hmm. oh, atlanta i mean it was good but you're like mm -hmm. however though um you did that for twitter so i don't necessarily mm -hmm. want you to focus on the patriots but i want to give you more of an opportunity 
to expand upon that because now you're they've already run one of your five now they're going to and i just unbookmarked it it's been bookmarked since i i saw that come out and we had a little bit of fun on friday with it but now mm-hmm. i want to give you the opportunity to expand a little bit more about why you have so much confidence that the colts are going to run the table because after that tampa bay game that's the situation that I think Frank Reich learned from, uh, not just from, uh, uh, you know, fans, media, coaches, ex-players, current players on the team. Uh, you can't just not run the football just because the team goes into, you know, uh, a heavy box. Especially when you have a running back that actually averages more yards per carry versus heavy boxes than normal boxes. You know, he's, he's one of those rare type of players. And after that, after that game, I'm I'm looking at the schedule. I'm looking at the the run defenses. I get there are some very good defenses in the NFL. New England has a very good overall defense, but they can be ran upon. Jonathan Taylor can possibly get good yardage on that and help open up things. This is a this is a situation where I feel like I don't see another team throughout the rest of the schedule that has a defense that will so focus on stopping Jonathan Taylor from running that will put Frank Reich off from actually trying to run the football and force Carson Wentz to pass 50 freaking times in a game. So could we talk specifically about the Patriots? Yeah. The one thing that Bill Belichick is well known for is taking away your best weapon. And obviously Jonathan Taylor is your best weapon. Yes. I do want to point out too that during I think believe it was the wild card game in a, against Tennessee a couple years ago, he didn't shut him down, but he significantly slowed down Derrick Henry on a year where Derrick Henry was running over everybody in the NFL. Uh with, with a defense very similar to this one. And the Patriots have had their issues with, with passing teams running the football on them. However, you're walking into a team that you've got a secondary that's very comfortable in man, man-to-man coverage and are good on those 50-50 balls in coverage. So it's it's kind of counterbalanced. Pittman could get the best of him. Jackson, Jackson get the best of him, whatever. But I'm saying you got guys who can take that away. Could you see a team like the Patriots selling out on the run and, and for maybe not to start the game, but forcing Frank Reich to to try something different? Is is Frank Reich the kind of guy that'll panic if 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 they were, if, because I, I went through, we'll go through it in a second here as well in a different story, but I went through the stats and if you look at the beginning of the season against some of those tough run teams, and I know the offensive line problem is a problem. Jonathan Taylor got held to three and a half yards per carry. Now it hasn't since I think week. Four? nine i saw or something like that, <laughs> I think that it was, yeah it was early in the season when he went on that big run yeah so he had the first yeah so it was uh october this the 11th was the last mm-hmm. time but his first six game one two three four five game okay 10.4 against houston again but this first five games of the season three of them were held under four yards per carry right and it happened to be against teams that are kind of known for stopping the run and i could see the patriots and have the safeties doing it selling out to stop jonathan taylor and saying we're going to take this guy out of the game or not let him be as effective 
is Frank Reich the kind of guy, if the first quarter is going slow with the run game, is he the kind of guy who would stick with it? Or is he the kind of guy that would be like, okay, Carson, it's now on your shoulder. you got to start throwing the football. I think, no, I think it, he'll he'll more balance it out. I think he'll go run heavy early, but I think he'll balance out a game. He'll, he'll throw uh, passes in there to force you to stay honest. Um, that's what he's been doing to a lot of teams, like the Rams, you know. Uh, like Tennessee when they were at their peak with with their defense and things of that nature. So, uh, I I and Baltimore, you know, that he generally against games like that, they generally have been very very uh, even. You know, where Taylor will get sixteen to twenty carries, but it's kind of odd that two of their last three games, Jonathan Taylor's had thirty two carries in a game. You know, uh, and, and it bookended the Tampa Bay game. You know, he had 32 carries against Buffalo. Then he goes and only gets 16 carries against Tampa, and we lose. And then he gets 32 carries again against the Texans. I think he's going to try to force feed Taylor. If Belichick sells out against the run, that's when I think that you will you will see Carson Wentz throw it a little more. But I don't think that he would take Jonathan Taylor completely off the table at all. We'll have lots of time after next weekend to talk about that game a little bit more. I assume I'll make some appearances on Colts Law. You'll be here on your regular Tuesday slot. So we'll have, and I'm sure that we'll be on each other's Patreons uh, discussing that game as well as we get closer and closer. And we both take a biased stance and tell the other one that they're out of their mind when we hit, when we talk about how they're going to beat the team. But I do want to stick with the Colts. And I actually want to do want to go to Jonathan Taylor. Um, so there's obviously a lot of conversation. We're getting to that point of the year now. Who's the MVP? The top four favorites in the league are Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, and Dak Prescott, four quarterbacks. Um, and I, if I'm going to be honest with you, it's probably going to go to a quarterback because of that quote-unquote importance of position. I'm not saying I believe. Everybody knows I've been on record on Newsbreak. I've been on record on the podcast. And I've been on record on DeanBlundell.com in writing that I believe Jonathan Taylor is the MVP of the National Football League this year. However, I do believe it will go to a quarterback, but Jonathan Taylor needs to be considered. And I just want to go over a couple things. So PFF Fantasy put this out today. The most runs of 20 yards and plus by a running back. Jonathan Taylor leads the league with 10. Nick Chubb's behind him with eight. Damian Harris was seven. Devontae Williams was six. Miles Sanders was six. Joe Mixon was six. Number one, that's a lot of good company up there. And he's two above the best in the league. I went on PFF today. The guy's got an 87.7 grade of total offense. He's a 90.3 run grade, a 64.9 receiving grade. Again, as I was saying, it's been since October 11th. Starting October 17th, he's been at least four yards or more. He had a couple of outliers against the Jets and against Houston where he was 10.4 yards per carry, 9.1 yards per carry. I call those wash games because if I look at some of the other players, you'll see somebody with some crazy stats against those teams. And uh, especially the Jets that the last five weeks, it seems like everybody is blowing them out. Uh, you know, the poor New York Jets. However, on the season, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's got 241 carries, 1,300 yards, 5.6 yards per cat, uh, per average. He has 36 receptions on the year, and he's got 16 touchdowns. I'm going to give you the opportunity, Lawrence, being an Indianapolis Colts fan, being a part of Colts media, being somebody who covers the Colts and watch them every day, to lay your case of why Jonathan Taylor should be the most valuable player of the National Football League. Well, I'll tell you what. The only reason not to have him, in my opinion, right now is because the Colts are sitting at seven and six. 
and they're not a for sure into the in the playoffs right now. If he continues doing what he's doing, he's on pace to do something no other running back's done since 2006 when LaDainian Tomlinson won the MVP, right? To have 2,000 yards from scrimmage and over 24 touchdowns in a single season by a running back. Jonathan Taylor is on pace right now for scrimmage yards of 2,500 scrimmage yards and 26 touchdowns, okay? That's, that's what he's on pace for. Now, if if he gets anywhere near that and the Colts get into playoffs, I don't care if it's the seventh seed. There's not another player in the NFL that has done more for their team in the effect that Jonathan Taylor has done for the Colts and uh, the rest of the NFL that would deserve it more, in my opinion. I mean, just there's, there's not. I, I get Tom Brady's been great, but if you put a, a halfway decent – you know, quarterback in there, then would they still be great? Probably. Would they be 10 and whatever, whatever their uh, record is? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, Dak Prescott, he's got all that to work with as well. You know, offensively, how many receivers did Dak Prescott have to work with? (laughs) How many receivers does Tom Brady have to work with? You know, uh, I, I get Aaron Rodgers. Now, Aaron Rodgers got one, maybe two good receivers to work with. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll give him that. And he's playing pretty good. So, but, you know, as important, when it, when it says most valuable, it's supposed to be most valuable to your team and, and you know, most valuable NFL. I think Jonathan Taylor is far and away, you know, hands down that guy. You're muted. Did Lamar Jackson take himself out of the running with that loss against the Steelers on the weekend? Because there was a point that I said Lamar Jackson was probably the most important player on any team to their team in the NFL. And a lot of Ravens fans would agree with you and say like that Ravens seems a three win team without Lamar Jackson. However, he had a chance to beat a divisional rival. And I mean, they controlled that game and they couldn't punch it in. And I think that he took himself out of the running in that, in, in that, because at the moment when you needed your superstar to be a superstar, I don't think Lamar Jackson looked like a superstar. He, he took him out for this moment right now. Could he over the next, you know, three weeks have three absolutely unbelievable games. It's Lamar Jackson. He absolutely could. And that could bring him back into the conversation. But at this point in time, yeah, I have to agree with you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for Talking Football with Ray. Thanks a lot to Lawrence Owen for hanging out with me today. Make sure that you go check out Lawrence on his Believe in Colts podcast or his YouTube page, Colts Law. The links are in the description of this YouTube channel. Make sure you go see that. Uh, You can find all my content all over the internet. You can find me on YouTube, Twitter, Newsbreak, Patreon, the Podcast Network, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can find my podcast and blogs over at DeanBlundell.com. You can also go check out the Dean Blundell Show, which I was where I was a guest today talking about the Patriots versus the Buffalo Bills. And uh, my guest, my boss, the owner, Dean Blundell, has been causing a havoc for me on Twitter tonight. Um, He's a Bills fan and him and a bunch of other Bills fans. And I wrote a bit of a controversial take today about um, Sean McDermott and basically called him a whiny little beep. (laughs) And so uh, here we are. But make sure you go check it all out, man. Check out both my YouTube channels, Talking Football with Ray. 
NFL news with Ray. Make sure that you check out my exclusive content over on the Ray Route Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash DPN Sports. Links are in the threads and descriptions. No matter how you're watching or listening to this show, make sure you hit that like button. And if you haven't done it already, follow me on Twitter at DPN underscore Ray. Uh, subscribe to Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast. Thank you to my sponsors over at Newsbreak. And make sure that you support the channel and the podcast by downloading the free link that I've left in the description. Until next time, thanks for uh, tuning in to Talking Football with Ray. And remember, you're all legit, kid. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.